From St. Louis, Missouri, this is Strangers to Fiction, a podcast all about documentary storytelling from two documentary filmmakers. My name is Jacob McIndoller. And I'm Bill Streeter, and today we're going to be talking about three Werner Herzog documentaries, Grizzly Man, Into the Abyss, and Meeting Gorbachev. So before we get into the episode today, we want to just kind of plug a little bit of things. So we're, what, 12 episodes deep into this podcast. and This I, is number 13. This is 13. Okay, so we're 13 episodes deep. I love doing this. I love an excuse to just come hang out with you on a Sunday yeah, it's good. and, and I, talk about documentaries. Yeah. And I, I hope people that are listening, and, and there are people listening now. We actually have some, you know, some listeners, not a huge yeah. group, but if you're listening... Do us a favor, subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you're listening to this podcast. Uh, rate it five stars. That helps grow the podcast, apparently. That's what everybody online says. And we got a Facebook group. Yep. Uh, we have Strangers Facebook group and a Facebook page. And so a Facebook can, page. Yeah. Go on, go we cross-post all the, automatically, the all the podcasts get cross-posted to Facebook. Um, and then, but, you know, I always thought that this project this this podcast if there was an audience for a podcast like this then it would be a slow build anyway i don't think there's a i huge assume audience. that yeah i absolutely assume <laughs> and that and so it's just a matter of like just cranking out regular content and i think eventually we'll find your audience so i'm not too but worried if you like if you like the podcasts, thing is, is it's you like fun this. to do so that's the main reason we do it so. absolutely it's fun to do and we love po- we love documentaries if you like documentaries and you're listening to this show and you know other people that like documentaries just Tell them about it. Maybe they'll like it too. So with that, let's talk about Werner Herzog. So we watched three films and they're from actually kind of, they're all about five years apart, maybe. Each one of them came out, came out about five years apart from each other. Okay. So there's Grizzly Man, which is probably one of his most famous and most popular documentaries and then there's into the abyss which came out in 2010 mm-hmm. and then there's Gorbachev, uh, meeting gorbachev which came out last year to 2018 right so they're i guess they're about almost 10 years apart i guess well 2005 i guess so we got 2005 2011 2018 yeah they're a good chunk of and i think we should Werner herzog is a very pro- prolific filmmaker he's very. made hundreds of Probably a hundred films. I don't know exactly how many, but he's made a lot. So, and he's made fiction films. He's made documentary films. He has very strong opinions about truth and how to uh, explore truth in film, which is interesting. Whether you agree with him or not, it's an interesting thing to discuss, I guess. He has a manifesto, manifesto out there, which talks about his ideas about how to present truth. Um, which is not necessarily facts. He talks about how people can lie with facts. And he, he actually called cinema verte style or the direct-to-cinema style not, I think he called it a lie or something. I, I can't remember what. I'll have to look it up. I'll look it up and we'll, we'll, we can discuss that later if you like. Yeah, so I think we should start this by talking about how we arrived at settling on three Werner Herzog movies. And that is that we were going to really just discuss one film, which was Meeting Gorbachev. And that was your suggestion, and we watched it, and both of us kind of looked at each other and said, 
I don't know that I have a lot to say about this film. I don't know if I could talk about it for an hour, but it is Werner Herzog, and and, and like you said, he's very prolific as a filmmaker, so we were like, well, let's talk about some of his other films, too. And I did. And you talked about, when we did our top five true crime documentaries, you, you listed Into the Abyss. Yeah. Which I, I actually, by the way, now that I have rewatched it, mm-hmm. I'm going to say that I rewatched it. I had seen it. Oh, you Dur- have? Yeah, yeah, during our uh, original discussion, I told you I don't think I've seen that. Yeah. But once I watched it, I realized I had seen it before. Uh-huh. And then, of course, we threw in Grizzly Man, which is yeah. sort of like you said, the one that Werner Herzog is probably most known for. It's probably his most famous documentary. So a lot of this came about because... You well, and I didn't have a lot to say about meeting Gorbachev. Yeah, so the reason I suggested meeting Gorbachev to begin with is because it was a film that I just looked out there and I was like, oh, well, Werner Herzog, is done, like, what's he done recently? And I kind of wanted to pick a film that neither one of us had seen because a lot of these that we've already talked about, one or the other of us have seen these films before. So I kind of wanted to just kind of throw a monkey wrench into this, yeah, <laughs> into sure. the podcast by like just, okay, here's a random film. I haven't seen it. It's Werner Herzog, so, you know, like, how bad could it be, really? And, yeah. And it might be worth talking about. And it was a fairly recent Werner Herzog, so um, I don't know. I mean, so that that's why I suggested it. And it's turned out, I mean, it's not a bad film. I just don't think it's not, it's not like a broad, I don't think there's a broad audience for a film like that. Yeah. I not don't that th- there's a broad audience for a lot of documentaries. It's just that this is a very, even more niche uh, kind of topic, I think. But I I found it really interesting. But, but I'm kind of a history buff, and you know I lived through a lot of that, and I remember a lot of the Berlin Wall coming down and stuff. So right, the- I I found it interesting, and I and I I guess I'm a little I'm a little younger than you, so mm-hmm. I might I remember the Berlin Wall coming down, but I was probably I think I was in like sixth grade or something like that when it happened. So I knew some of the history here. And I remember when I was growing up that Gorbachev was like the first president that I remember is Reagan, right? Hmm. So I had Reagan, Gorbachev are sort of enemies in my mind, right? Mine was Nixon. Was it? Yeah. Boy, you're old. <laughs> That's like two two presidents between me. Yeah. But well, I remember I'm exactly ten years older than you, so Yeah. So I but I remember that, you know, Gorbachev was sort of the enemy, but I didn't really understand why or how or what that meant. But watching this was really insightful to me just in what Gorbachev meant to the USSR and the, 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 um, what is now Russia, right? Because he essentially was the first guy that stepped in and said, hey, we need capitalism. We need democracy. And I don't think he necessarily even said that. He said we need doc- democracy. He never democracy. He probably, never yeah. gave in to capitalism. Maybe, maybe not. You're right. You're right. You're but right. he wanted reforms. Um, and I think the kinds of reforms that he was going for were a lot of the kinds of reforms that the Communist Party in China actually enacted. So China went through their kind of reform period as well around the same time. And I think he wanted to do that with the Soviet Union. And what I never understood and what this film kind of clarified for me is I never really understood exactly how I understood that the Soviet Union collapsed, but it wasn't really totally clear on the mechanisms by which it collapsed. Right, right. Internally, the political mechanisms by which it uh, collapsed. So basically, Gorbachev was really kind of a unique leader in, in the Soviet Union in that he was very gregarious. People liked him. He was young. 
he was relatively young. And like like three guys before him all died within a yeah, year. Yeah, so they so the, <laughs> they talk and, about and how a, he came to power. And a lot of people, I think, understood at that point. Like the Soviet Union was already under a lot of stress by the time Gorbachev came to power. And I remember people like Brezhnev, and uh, I remember that whole series of events where like there were three elderly leaders of the Communist Party that got elected or named the premier or whatever they were called, not president, but they were premier of the Soviet Union, and they all died in quick succession. And and I have very clear memories of what the culture was like around like the, there was, the people used to talk about the Iron Curtain. Yeah. And um, we didn't know anything that was going on beyond the Iron Curtain. Like there was all this speculation and you hear stories and like there's a little like anti-communist, like 1950s anti-communist propaganda. It was still very much alive in the 70s, you know, and I remember all that stuff. And, and Gorbachev came along and all of a sudden he was this guy that was very gregarious and he understood he was smart. He understood that the Soviet Union was like in drastic need of of uh, reform and he want and he knew that like places like hungary was it hungary or turkey no it was another soviet satellite state that sort of went through a bunch of reforms and they were for whatever reason they were actually able to produce enough that because that was really the issue is the soviet union was like running out of food and they were not able to produce food efficiently enough to keep people fed Mm-hmm. And so he did this tour where he went around and tried to figure out different reforms. He, everybody knew that there were reforms that needed to happen. And But what I didn't understand was that he opened up, so he had two programs he opened up, Glasnost and what was the other one? Was I, Glasnost I don't and, remember. And Perestroika. Okay. So Glasnost was the foreign, the the the. it was basically, there are two packages of reforms that he proposed. And Glasnost was the, uh, opening up to the West, and that was sort of like renewing relations with the West and like calming down uh, fears around a war and like kind of moving forward in a new era of cooperation with the West or at least negotiation with the West, and that was Glasnost. And then there was Perestroika, which was the internal reforms that he wanted to enact, which was economic reforms and trade reforms and, and um democratic reforms where people actually had a chance to elect their representatives and that there wasn't so much party control. All right. But I, w- I want to step back for a second yeah. because I don't want to become a history podcast. No, I know. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a lot of history and there's interesting history here. Yeah. There's no doubt about that. I, I found the history of it interesting. I found Gorbachev to be an interesting dude mm-hmm. with an interesting background. He came from like a, a very rural com- community, like a farming community. Yeah. But as a film, I found it fairly boring. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't disagree with that, actually. And, and I feel like, so, uh, Werner Herzog, in this film, I got the impression that the reason he found it so interesting, if you think about his age and when he grew up in yeah. Germany, he grew up right in the middle of Germany, which was split by the Soviet Union, right? So there was half of Germany was East Germany, which is a a Soviet satellite republic. And he grew up in this country that had been, you know, torn apart. He was born during World War II. He was born in 1942. He was a year older than my parents. So he's like in his mid-70s now. Mm -hmm. And he, late 70s even, I guess. But uh, so I can see how this story would be super important to him and how Gorbachev would probably loom large over his, his, 
thing. And I think I don't think you can put too fine a point on the fact that Gorbachev is probably one of the great 20th century leaders because he either directly or indirectly led. If it wasn't for him, I think that we'd probably still be in a Soviet cold. You know, I think the, the title of this film is perfect, Meeting Gorbachev. Yeah. Because I think the whole point of this whole film was just that Werner Herzog wanted to meet, wanted to meet Werner, wanted to meet Gorbachev, right? Yeah. Like uh, because he was a looming figure yeah. figure in history and all of that, so he just wanted to meet him. And that's all, when I watched all this, it, yeah. it, it's all it seemed like to me was Werner Herzog wanted to talk to Gorbachev. He wanted to interview him, and I, for some reason, this reminded me a lot of Herzog has the history with Earl Morris, and yeah. Earl Morris kind of looms large in the. The world of documentary filmmaking, he's kind of considered like yeah. the the goat of all, and, and you know, eventually we'll get to him and we'll talk about him. Mm-hmm. And there's the famous story of uh, they made the film uh, Werner Herzog eats his shoe yeah. because Werner Herzog challenged Earl Morris. If you ever make this film, Gates of Heaven, I think it was, I'll eat finish my it. Shoe. Yeah, if you ever finish, finish it. it, yeah, because uh, Earl Morris has a trouble, a problem with like starting projects and not finishing them, right? Which I can relate to, honestly. But <laughs> well, and to me, I, I feel like that's the opposite is true with Werner Herzog. I feel like he just throws his his energy at anything uh-huh. and doesn't really care about how good it is sometimes. Yeah, and, and I kind of feel that way about this film. But what I what the point I was getting to is that Earl Morris made a documentary about uh, God. I, I should have had this. He did it a bunch of no, but it, where he interviews a historical figure. Who's the guy? Well, there's he did a couple of them. He did he did uh, the guy well, Vietnam. The he was yeah. the architect of Vietnam. The Vietnam. That's the one I'm the, thinking of. <laughs> secretary. He was Secretary of Defense during Vietnam. Uh, McNamara. Yeah. McNamara. Yeah. Okay. McNamara. Right. But then he the also, fog of war. Okay. The yeah, fog, the fog of, war. of war. And I felt like this film was Werner Herzog trying to make the fog of war but doing it less well than earl morris did it i felt like he was like well earl morris made a historical film let me make a historical film and he just didn't do it as well i mean like the the shots weren't framed as well i can't i can't really uh i can't really go along with the idea that like he was just trying to copy Earl Morris because, first of all, it's, that's pure speculation. But. Of course it is, of course. <laughs> Clearly, <laughs> that's just my, think, that was my thought think, while I watched it, I don't it, think uh, Werner Herzog's that shallow, necessarily. But I, I do think that Werner Herzog like wanted... I think it's true that this movie was made primarily because he wanted... But, you know, but Werner you, Herzog you, makes movies that are personally... He only makes films, his own films, that are... You know, very personal to him. But that's, do you that's do you one of his think criteria that, for making a film? Do you think that Earl Morris could have made a better Gorbachev documentary? I think so. Probably, yeah. I think the interviews would have been more interesting. But, the but then I appreciated at the same time I appreciated Werner Herzog's personal insight into that period of history and his insight. That is true completely because completely different than anything because he was in the middle of it literally you're right because earl morris wouldn't have had that he's a yeah i think he grew up in america i guess you know and that's probably something that Werner herzog maybe failed to get across maybe as well as he could have is like the the fact that he had this very his own experience was so much more important to him as growing up with the soviet union in europe you know in a europe that was dominated by two major superpowers you know in a cold war yeah 
um, especially in a country that had literally been split apart <laughs> by that Cold War. You know, so so can we just jump into the next film? Yeah. So into the so do you want to talk? Actually, I'd like to talk about like just sort of like generally describe each film. Yeah. You know. Um, so uh, Grizzly Man's about. Uh, it's really a found footage documentary. Can, let's save Grizzly Man. Okay. Because that's what everybody wants to hear anyway. Okay. Let's save that for the last. Right, okay. Let's go to Into the Abyss. Okay. As I said, you listed it as your top in your top yeah. five. Yeah. Um, I had seen it. I didn't remember it well. Yeah. Uh, it is a film that is talking about one guy who's on death row. And, uh, well, one guy, yeah, one, yeah, guy one guy's on yeah, death row. Yeah. Two guys committed a crime. Yeah. One guy got the death penalty. Yeah. One guy got life imprisonment. Um, it, it's a pretty silly crime. I mean, it's a crime yeah, that didn't need to happen. Terrible, you know, yeah. it's, it's some really bad decision making yeah. by some young boys, right? Yeah. And this one guy gets convicted, and triple murder. And you, yeah, triple murder, and to steal a car. I remember that your story when we talked about it previously was that. This was an anti-death penalty film, but, but wasn't really trying to solve the crime or anything like that. And, and, and you're right in some sense. Yeah. And Werner Herzog says right in the beginning, he says something along the lines of, I don't have to like you. He's talking to the guy who's, who he's interviewing who has been convicted to death. And he says, I don't have to like you. I don't have to like what you did, but I don't think people should kill other people. And so I, don't, I therefore don't think you should be, you know... Murdered. Murdered. Yeah. But he didn't really carry that theme throughout the film, right? It, it didn't become a, you know, well, like you say. he didn't preach it. Yeah, that, that's what, I, that's what yeah, I'm trying yeah, to say. I he don't didn't, think he was. He didn't preach think, it. Like yeah. the, the whole thing didn't become a yah, 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 anti-death I penalty think, thing. I think his approach was that he was going to challenge, he was going to, I get the impression that his approach was, I'm going to make this film and I'm going to let you decide for yourself, which I think is very respectful of the audience. But he also like, it was, you know, he was just like trying to humanize like these criminals, you know, and show that they yeah. were actual people too. And that I don't know, I don't know exactly how he was ever going to go around to like making a case, an anti death penalty case in it. But it's because um, this is it's hard to view this film and think of it as an anti death penalty case because I walked away from it going, and I don't have a huge stand on the death penalty. Yeah. Like I get both sides of the argument. Yeah. But I walked away from this film going, man, it sucks that this dude's going to die, but he did kind of kill three people that yeah. didn't deserve to die. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I'm well, like, I'm I not that, torn apart we're, by we're, it. We're, I think where his argument comes in, uh, the anti-death penalty argument, is that he, I think that the, his case for anti-death penalty comes in two places in the film. One is the family, the woman, her, the woman who was the daughter, the one lone survivor of that, yeah. in that family. Mm-hmm talked about going to witness the execution and how they didn't really want to see it and how she didn't feel like it did anything. You know, it didn't really. But I felt like she she said it did do something. She said it, like, brought her closure. Like, after that, it she kind of didn't but walk she, around with this same sense. But she didn't think sense. that, like, it, it made a big, I don't know. I, I, I never got the impression that she really thought that the death penalty was a good was a good punishment. But I think she felt like, 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 what, like what a lot of us feel is it's a it's obviously a conflicted topic and like yeah, it's something yeah. that's hard to decide about. Yeah. And I think even though she was the victim of that, she still felt the same way. You know, I think she was like, yeah. Well, well I don't like the people who have to die, but yeah. but you know, my and family the didn't other have to case die either. Was the guy that 
was actually the executioner, the guy that worked in the right towards uh, the end of the film. He talked about he, yeah. yeah, where he interviewed him and he talked about how it kind of like eventually had like a like a psycho he had a psychological break over it. Yeah, you know, and it came when he finally had to execute the first woman on death row in Texas. Right, and he decided he was never he quit his job and lost his pension and everything over that. Mm -hmm. um, I think that was a. His, the, the other case that he was making, you know, that was anti-death penalty. It's it's a strange film, I think, overall. And I think it's worth watching because and, and, it, it, you will come away with some different insights, I think, about the death penalty and about capital punishment. I don't know if... I don't know that Herzog was necessarily trying to make a specific case that was anti-death penalty. I think he just wanted to get people to think about it. Well, I, and know? I think... And he, I think it works yeah, in that maybe, Yeah, right. You know? And I think maybe he started with the intention of making an anti-death penalty film, but then as he got into the story, it got complicated, right? Yeah. I mean, you, you feel sympathy. Well, life is complicated. And I think of course, that he likes, of I think he likes to sort of toy with this idea of like nature and man and like what, and the complexities of life. He's never simple about anything. Like he likes to sort of pick something up. He and understands. Turn it over in your hand yeah. and look at look on every all the different facets. Right, and, right. And I think that might be like a little frustrating for people who like cut and dried stories. Well, but it's very, frustrating for me even. Yeah. And, I, and I don't mind those. But yeah. but you know sometimes and this is one of the things that frustrates me about Werner Herzog. And I think he's a great filmmaker when I look back on it. Mm -hmm. But when I first watch something like this, I'm like, could you just take a stand on this? Yeah, yeah. Like, what do you think? Tell me what you think. Yeah. But you're you're right. I think it's better that he makes you think about it. Yeah. Like, it's better that you, you walk away it's too It's kind days. of respect for the audience that you don't yeah. see from some people. Yeah. And we were talking about Netflix documentaries earlier, right? And, right. and I feel like uh, the way some modern net and this is in the last year or so like documentaries that Netflix have come out they're so formulaic they don't really have a lot of respect for the audience right. they just like tell you like this is what happened this is what you should well, think about well there's such a there's know? such a fad in society in general of like the true crime yeah. obsession so you've got like and I, I'm telling you it all started with serials serial the podcast is what started all of that and then you've got all of these true crime documentaries. I don't think that's true because I've I, I've been in a true. No, but it, la it launched it. It launched well the, in into the mainstream. modern popular culture. Yeah. There's this, there are different like periods in time where uh, true crime gets popular and then it kind of goes away. And then it gets sure, I mean I, I I was into but, um, America's Most Wanted and yeah, you know that, that kind of stuff when yeah. I was a kid. But it, it's a it's a big fad now, and I think a lot of these documentary, you know, you, know, you mentioned Netflix, like they're cashing in on that, yeah. you know, but they're not. But there's no respect for the audience. You know, it's just like it's just like here's what you should think about this, and it's like that's not really interesting. See, you're you're really changing my mind on this film right now because I really came in here thinking I hate I didn't like this movie. Yeah, right. I I just I didn't like it, and I was like, how could Bill list this in his like top five true crimes? But you're I think you're absolutely right. I think the great thing is it doesn't answer the question for you. And it doesn't try to tell you what the the, the answer is. Mm -mm. It doesn't say, "Hey, is capital punishment bad?" It doesn't say that. Mm -hmm. You know, he says that. Yeah. He goes, "This, and this is what is I feel." This is one of the few true crime documentaries where there's no mystery, <laughs> right? You know what happened. Yeah, they they tr <laughs> well, okay. The only person that creates a mystery is the actual guy who got murdered, right? Like, or who got executed. Yeah. He tries to like deny what he did. Yeah. I'm pretty sure he's lying. Oh, I mean, I'm pretty. Yeah. I'm pretty sure his whole story is bullshit. Because yeah. yeah. everybody else has the same story, but he has a different story. Yeah. So that's the that's the only mystery. Basically, you know that he did it and his friend did it. Yeah. You know, 
Um, you don't know the exact. But it's not about way the things mystery. went down. But that's what I'm, the story's not about. Right, it's not about it's just, that. It's just it's about where most true crime documentaries, and I think this kind of gets boring because it gets formulaic. It's like you start out with like, "Ooh, here's a mystery. Who did this, this guy? Probably did it. Somebody died. Yeah, could we prove Who did it? it? Like you know, and yeah. just, you know, and uh, and I think that like any other story. It's really about the character, <laughs> you know. Yeah, the characters yeah. are probably the thing that makes. It's going to be a running theme in this podcast, I think. I think. So. If you're going to tell know. a story, I'm a big, I'm a it's all about the, the characters. I'm a big fan of the character, well, yeah. theory of storytelling. You know? Well, in the and, and in this film, there were interesting characters. Yeah. The guy who got all executed yeah. was an interesting dude. I mean, I didn't trust him for a second. I didn't believe a word he said, but I found him interesting to yeah. listen to. Yeah. And then you've got I think he's the, a psychopath, that guy. I, I think I think he knew how to like yeah. pretend like he was emoting and it pre- and no and he knew all the right things to say but like the way he sat there and like smiled the whole time but I, I don't know I man because I think even said. I think see he, uh, this is complicated because I agree with what you're saying and I thought about what you're saying but I always thought in the face of death wouldn't even a psychopath kind of give up a little bit like wouldn't they kind of go no I, I I'm actually gonna die eight days from now yeah. Should I now like at least open up and and be honest? Yeah. And if he was a psychopath, that didn't I think, happen. I think there's certain. So people... he either believed what he was saying, like because he was saying, "I, I believe I in think, Jesus. Think, I'm going home either I way." Think, I think people have an amazing capacity for self deception, and I think that's what True. was going on. Mm-hmm. And I think that he was probably, and it doesn't mean he wasn't a psychopath. I think he just had sort of justified somehow in his mind what actually happened, what was happening to him, and it, and it just was something that he could live with. It was some self de- deception that he had created for himself. Because it's a reality that you have to deal with, yeah. and and if you're in that position, yeah, you're right. You just have to somehow yeah. make it okay in your mind. And I yeah. guess that's I what he, he did. I think he's a psychopath that was kind of lying to himself in a yeah. lot of ways. You know. All right, so let's go on. Third film. Grizzly Man. Masterpiece. I'm just going to say it right now. Well, here's the thing. This is a found footage documentary. Yeah. This is a, which is a, I I don't know. I mean, I can't think of too many found footage documentaries. I I think maybe um, Kid Stays in the Picture. Well, it's kind of a found footage documentary as well. But this was really... This is the, the ultimate picture, found so footage there's documentary. There's a couple of ways to make a found footage documentary. You could take, you could start with a story and then find footage that sort of supports the yeah. story of something that happened in the past. Yeah. And then there's like this... Uh, I think what a true found footage documentary is like if somebody finds a trove of do- of yeah. of footage and they get to make this documentary out of it. In a way, this wasn't found, but it was a pre-existing footage that was produced and somebody found it and made a film out of it, which wasn't necessarily the film that was intended when it was shot. But right. I thought it was great. And and really I think there are really two filmmakers at work here. There's, I, there's you said what I was gonna yeah, say. There's Timothy, there is Timothy Treadwell, Treadwell and who Werner Herzog. Who I will say, and I made this note, I think Timothy Treadwell Treadwell was a better filmmaker than Werner Herzog. Well I wouldn't go so far as that. Well, at least he knew how to frame a shot, and Werner Herzog doesn't know how to frame a shot. Really? Yeah, his framing is always bad. But well, you know, he doesn't shoot his own films, right? But but he's the directing yeah, them, yeah. so he's got to tell the the who's ever shooting it where how, to put the camera. Working, I don't know what his working practices are like. I, I just think his framing is always bad, and Timothy Treadwell like frame. I mean, when you look at 
some of the, the you, did, did you footage. like the framing of the of the footage of the interviews you mean with the interviews I mean in general through all three films that we're talking about yeah. here I I think Werner Herzog doesn't know how to frame a shot well like huh. he, I like the framing in the, into the abyss I like I like the way I that didn't was done. I didn't huh. because it's off to and the I side I like the lighting too it's off to the side no, they're all dead center well, no, no, I'm talking about the interview with the guy who's on death row, right? Oh. It's off to the side, and the eye line doesn't meet the camera. That's the eye little, line is going to the... That's a little... I, I understand that there's a limit in how yeah, you can shoot was, that, right? Like a, the, yeah, you're in a very small space. Yeah, and probably there's rules and things like that yeah. that you have to follow. Yeah. I get it, but... So I was forgiving of it. I didn't hold it that much against him, but... Yeah. But when you look at... My point is, when you look at Timothy Treadwell... Treadwell, I keep seeing Treadwell, but Treadwell, not whenever he was name. set up his shot, no, not his real name, right? Whenever he was set up his shots, they were beautiful. Like, yeah. they were amazing. I had a lot of questions. I came like, away with a lot of questions about how he actually worked, which I cannot find. There's a lot of stuff that was written about this movie. None of it was technical. I'd like to know if he was going up there for like two months or three months in Alaska in the summertime, how many batteries was he bringing with him? Like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> That's like, a great question. Like, how did he keep that camera? Because I, I shot with cameras in that, not that exact model. He was shooting with some Sony, Sony VFX, VX, no, Sony V2000 or something like that. Nice camera for the period. That was probably one of the nicest prosumer like video cameras you could get at the time. And his footage looks amazing. I think it I'm looks surprised great, yeah. how well it blows up because it was obviously all shot SD on tape and it, it it's been transferred, and I don't know what they did to remaster it, maybe, to get it, but it looks incredible. His framing is beautiful. I don't think you can find a bad frame in that part of Alaska, really. Oh, well, I mean, it's I, a that's beautiful true. place. Yeah. But I think you could point your camera at almost anything up there, and it's going to be beautiful. But I was I would like to know his production, like what his production was, you know, techniques were, because there was a lot of things he was doing that, I mean, how did he frame himself? Because that camera didn't have a flip-around screen, so he would probably yeah. have to experiment a little bit, yeah, like right. figure out where he needed to be in the frame. Um, and he had a lot of shots and that were... he would were... do 20 takes at a time, according to the film. Yeah, but you know? but he would do takes of like just himself with the wilderness, which yeah. is one thing, but then he would do shots that were him with like bears in the background or, yeah. or foxes in the background, and he had to so somehow frame that shot, get himself into the frame... Yeah. And know that he's in the frame, but like you said, without the flip around, so he can't even yeah, see how himself. Did he do that? Like, so, that's... I mean, the opening shot of the film is him with a couple of bears wandering around in the background. And did he just get lucky and put himself in the right? And and that's what I mean. Why it's beautifully framed because he knows how to stay in the, like the no. one third section of yeah, the, the but frame. I think. Well, here's something else though, and I think this might be a little key into like his framing and this is something that i figured out like while we we're watching it while i was watching the film towards the end of the film he they reveal that he was always very a little deceptive about being there by himself the whole time and in reality he had women with him he had like two or three not always women. Not, not always, always but he but he did and that may have been part of the way he was able to frame a shot you know yeah because like the, the main story the main story here, and it's revealed right away in the film, is that he eventually gets eaten by a bear. Yeah. And his girlfriend gets eaten by a bear. Yeah. You know? So there was, in a lot of cases, other people there. But 
But the camera doesn't move or anything. You know, I mean, it's not no, like... No, no, but I think that... But that maybe there was just somebody there somebody saying, you're in sure frame. He was framed. Yeah. yeah, he was like, hey, I want, I need to be right here in this in this frame. You put me right, you know. So he had... It wasn't like he was absolutely working by himself. He did have people with him. But then you have this... So you've got Timothy Treadwell, who's this, you know, weird guy who goes out and lives with bears. Troubled guy, actually. Like, he... he it was sort of therapy for him to actually yeah. do this. Yeah, let's get into that. But I'm just going to say, I'm talking about the film. You have this other guy who's in the film, which is Werner Herzog. Yeah. And Werner Herzog is very much a character in this movie. Oh, of course. His voice and, you know, his narration in this, and I'll always say... I think say, he's a character in all three of these films. Well, he's a character in his films, right? Yeah. He's got the best voice that's ever existed, yeah. you know? You can forget the about narration. the guy. Yeah, like, I would love this guy to just narrate my whole life. Yeah. Best enunciation, pronunciation. He's got a German accent yeah. or whatever. It's and very he, matter of fact, which lends a weird. It's a weird. Uh, yeah, I don't even know thing. if you can call it matter of fact. I don't think you can really call it anything, you know, because it's. I don't always agree with his narration. Yeah. In this film in particular, but just the sound of his voice is so yeah. pleasing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you, you just enjoy it. It's just monotone. But you get the combination of, of Treadwell and him. Mm-hmm. That kind of tell the story. Yeah, that, Treadwell's yeah. like exact opposite of Werner Herzog in terms of his presentation. What do you think? What is your, what's your opinion in the general Timothy Treadwell thing? Like, My was he was him? he an idiot that deserved to die, or was he like? Well, this great I don't think he deserved to die. I don't think like, anybody really deserves to die, even if they are idiots. But um, I think he was kind of a little outside his uh, little naive. Yeah, I think he was naive, and I think, you know, he was not a scientist. You know, he was presenting himself as if he was doing this, not scientific work, but sort of like preservation work, I guess. Yeah, Um, that's what he thought of it anyway. Yeah, and I don't think a wildlife biologist would have recommended his techniques in terms of, (laughs) you know, going up there and living with the bears. I think that's understated a bit. uh, I think he definitely had, I think his intentions were pure, for sure. Yeah. But I don't think that he was absolutely necessarily honest with everybody about what he was doing, and he wasn't totally. I think he did it a lot of a lot of his motivation was just that it gave him some purpose in life. And yeah, I think he didn't have that's, purpose in life before that. That's exact. I, I that's and, the note that I make. Yeah. I made was like, I mean, this is some somebody who felt like, and they give you a little bit of backstory on him. He grew up on what was it on Long Island or something. Yeah, he was a normal kid in a lot of ways, but you know, he's a he little. Tried to be, tried to be an actor yeah. and. And the acting thing failed, and he apparently started drinking a lot, became a, a big alcoholic, and but found purpose in bears, basically, yeah. right? And that seemed to be the purpose. And, and so I watched this going, man, I don't really, like, I don't find He's fault with this. kind of a this. lost soul. Anyway. Yeah. yeah, and I can't really find fault with this guy because I think that, number one, he says throughout the film, I'll die for this, and that's how he died, right? I mean, so yeah. he died doing what he wanted to do. And it was, a, and it, I felt kind of, inspirational that this was a guy who did find his purpose yeah. right he you know he had all, all this heartbreak in life but you watch him with these bears and he's clearly a guy who loves being in this this place so as stupid as it may have been right because it probably was stupid and you're right like a wildlife biologist wouldn't say go hang out with bears and try to pet them yeah. but it gave the dude purpose yeah you know and i think ultimately maybe he wanted to get eaten by a bear Maybe you know there was a bit that was. Where did you watch this? I did you watch it on? Prime, I think. I found it on Tubi TV, which okay. is a, a television cut. 
so there's two cuts of this film, and there's a couple of little scenes that were missing from the one of the DVD release, I guess it was. And I think that's probably the the version that's online mm-hmm. is the DVD release. So I think Prime, both Prime and I watch it on Tubi TV, which it was free, but there was commercials, you know. But it was I think it was only cut for the commercials. But but the DVD release of it was missing a scene that was in the theatrical release, and probably because they couldn't get rights to it for the DVD release, and that was the scene where he was on David Letterman. Oh, okay, okay. which you can find on YouTube. You know what? There were some things cut from the the version I watched mm-hmm. um, on Prime because I, I remember specifically they 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 interviewing a the helicopter pilot, um, and that wasn't in the one that I saw this this week. Oh, but I've seen it before. Like the the helicopter pilot. Yeah, the where he basically said he thought he was nuts. Well, there were two helicopter pilots. Well, there were two actually, pilots. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, no, one was a plane. One was a. So maybe it was the plane pilot that they didn't show in the the version that I watched oh. this week. Yeah. I, there was a whole scene in the version I watched. Well, it? that might have been the beginning where they're walking around the site, where he's showing them where he found everything. No, it's later, and I remember it being like in a hangar, or like a kind of. Well, there was movie. a scene where with a helicopter pilot that was. In front that I just in the version I just saw where you're standing in front of the helicopter in front of a hangar, yeah, okay. In the background, anyway. Maybe I'm remembering like an extra clip I watched Maybe. or something. It might. But that scene, I went and found that scene with David Letterman on, and it's fuck, it's crazy because he mentions David Letterman in the movie, like yeah. you know, he says, yeah. "Oh, you were on David Letterman." Yeah, yeah they so. took so they took that clip out for the DVD. This is the DVD version, yeah. you probably saw. So anyway, the scene with David Letterman, he goes on in David Letterman, and he's and he's basically doing a David Letterman shtick where he's telling him about what he does, and he lives with the bears, and he gets up close to the bears and stuff. And David Letterman goes, "Are we going to find out next week that you've been eaten by these bears?" Like that's how. The- <laughs> It was like, yep. it's just so like. The answer to that, and, Dave, and, and is yep. The, they cut to like Timothy Treadwell, and he looks almost offended that it, that question was even asked. You know, it was just so. It was so in the context of this film, it's so messed up. What I, you know, you mentioned in the beginning that this is a, a found footage documentary. Yeah. And one of the things I love about this so much is Timothy Treadwell's out there in the wilderness filming these things by himself. But what this film uses a lot is the footage that Timothy Treadwell wouldn't have used, right? It's like the, you know, he goes and records, I'm here, I've saved the, you know, the bears for this season and yeah. everything's great. The multiple takes. But then they let it, they, the camera runs, right? Yeah. Like it keeps going and he's out there in the wilderness so he starts going, fuck you conservationists yeah, and yeah. fuck you. Like when you see the real dude come out, right? Yeah. When he's not just you know, being Timothy Treadwell conservationist. Yeah, well, he becomes a real dude, right? Yeah. And the emotion comes out. Well, you know, the thing is, is he's, in a, this he's, he's doing video blogging. He's doing vlogging. You're right. Absolutely free, right. Pre-vlogging. You're, you're, that's a great point. That's you know, a really great point. I mean, he was, I mean you, you can go on YouTube. That was kind of a rare... I he's guess, the first vlogger, right? I don't know if he's the first, but... Uh, Maybe yeah, not definitely the first, yeah. like Definitely like in that... Um, yeah, I mean he's he's using all those techniques, it, and and there's actually much better equipment for doing it now because you can get little monitors and things that you can use. And you well, can and that's the great thing is he was doing it without that phone, that you know? new equipment. Like he yeah. was doing it. Yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, he was he was perfecting those techniques that have become common for vloggers these days. You know. So I have 
so many. I wrote more notes on this film than I wrote for any other film. All right, let's go through them. So I'm going to try. I think, so I have this opinion on Werner Herzog, and I think he's just a lucky dude. He makes so much shit. Like, if you throw enough shit at the wall, eventually you're going to, like, something's going to stick. And I think he just makes so much stuff that eventually he does stuff good. Now, we talked about three films. The Meeting Gorbachev, eh, to me. Like, you know, it's only good because Gorbachev's an interesting dude. And anybody else could have made that film and I think probably made it better. The other one, eh, okay, it's... Into the Abyss. Into the Abyss. Your opinion has evolved a little bit. It has evolved a little bit, but also I still don't think... I had seen it before, and it didn't make a big impact on me, and I didn't even remember it, right? I just kind of categorized that with your basic run-of-the-mill true crime Mm -hmm. shows. This, I think, is an absolute masterpiece, and I think it's one of the best documentary films ever made, and I think Werner Herzog just got really lucky because he found this footage. But I also think he adds a lot to it. You know, like his, his, he gives his opinion throughout the film. Whereas, you know, as a documentary filmmaker, typically that's not what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to just sort of. Depends on the style of documentary. You're right. But, but I mean, in what we think of in general. Documentaries for all the same reason they write, right? So. But he, um, he gives a lot of opinions in this and I don't necessarily agree with every opinion he, he gives, but I think he adds a really unique insight into this and he, he he recognizes the mistakes that treadwell made in sort of assuming that nature is this cuddly cute creature mm-hmm. yeah you know and, and realizing hey man these these things are here to murder you i mean they will happily murder you and and in general i just think that his narration just makes the film so good like you just have that his voice is 50 percent of what makes this movie good i agree i think that you know he I like the fact that this movie isn't really about... I mean, it could have been about... I mean, I feel like there's probably enough footage in that Timothy Trowbull shot that you could probably make a nature documentary out of this. This is not a nature documentary. It looks like a nature documentary. I think people who like the nature documentaries will probably get a lot out of this bear footage that, that, that's in the film. There's great bear footage. I mean, but it's Timothy not. Treadwell shot good footage. Oh, he yeah. really shot great but footage. There's, it's, not, it's, it's, it's a nature documentary in that it's, an, it's about the nature of this guy or yeah. man in general and not the nature that this guy was going and living in and, and documenting. You know, and so. he wasn't really respecting that nature. You know, he was trying to impose no, his was... own. You know, he said something like, "Are there was somebody else who said Timothy Treadwell thought he could go up there, and him and the bears could just be children of the universe together." Yeah. Is what they said, and I think that's kind of that's what he kind thought. Kind of like uh, today, we would call that kind of privilege. It was like it's like I'm a guy. I don't think it was privilege though. I think it was It's a kind of privilege. It's like it's like I have this I have the right to go and live with the bears, which is like, I think it's I think it's I, I totally, totally disagree with you. I don't think it's anything about privilege. I think it's about a guy who wanted to find who felt lost. Oh yeah. Who, who needed a place to too. fit. Yeah. And he I don't think those are mutually exclusive I think so. Because it wasn't so. like, I don't think he went up there going, well, so, okay, I think by what you're saying is privilege is what I would categorize as just stupidity in the fact that he thought he could go up there and impose his like human will on nature. Mm-hmm. But he was also pretty smart about it. I mean, he talked about it in every scene that you see him interviewed in or when he's talking to the camera. He says, I could die at any moment. These are, you know, these are wild creatures. So 
he did have a sense that there was danger there. You know, he, yeah, it, it wasn't that he was completely stupid to the idea that these were natural creatures who were predators and you could one day turn into prey. He was aware of that. You know, he wasn't completely, you know, dumb to the idea. No, I think he totally understood that. I just think that, um, I don't know. I mean, he's a sad person. I, I came away kind of feeling sad for him. I didn't, man. I didn't. And I'll tell you why I didn't. I felt sad for why he was there. Mm-hmm. But I felt like, like I said, that's a guy who found his meaning, you know, like it, it is maybe sad that the way that his life ended and the way and the fact that his girlfriend died in the same way. But I thought that's a guy that finally found his meaning. Now, it might be a totally stupid meaning to me or you, but to him, that's what he wanted to do. You know, that's the yeah. life that he wanted to live. And like I said earlier, I think he wanted to eventually be eaten by a bear. And that's what happened. Yeah, maybe. You know? I, maybe it was a weird f- kind of form of suicide, you know. Um, but he got to live. I mean, what was it? Like 13 summers in a yeah, row, he did they 13 said. summers in a row. And, and he and was it out. it gave him purpose. Yeah, and that's the thing. It and gave him purpose. That's, so, that's why that, I don't find it sad. Yeah. Because it gave him purpose. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I agree. I'm not, I don't necessarily, it's hard to, I think that he kind of knew that's how he, he was going to die. I yeah. think he probably knew that. And. Um, it's hard to feel bad for a person who dies in exactly the manner in which <laughs> they wanted to die. So in that way, I, f- I feel sad. But I, I feel sad for him in a way because he was obviously searching. Even when he was there, I don't think he was super happy. Yeah. Know? And and um, he did have some, I think, some mental issues even while he was there. Like depression. That, yeah. Well, depression and also, I think, paranoia. Because they, they, yeah. sh- they show it towards the end of the film... Some clips of where some other people are in, you know, encroach on the territory. Yeah. And he's kind of hiding behind it's, trees. And they, they write like a little note on there that says, Hey, Timothy, see you in summer 2001. And he films it and you can hear his voice. I while don't he's know. There. I wondered he, but about. He, hold on. Let me let, just yeah. let me finish. But he films it as if, Look at this threat that they left me. They left this threat. Oh, Timothy, see you 2001. Then he goes over and they like they 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 wrote a little um, smiley face on a rock and he films that as if that's a threat. But I'm looking at that to go, these are people that know you're there and they're just being nice. They're just going, "Hey man, we know you're here." So many different ways to interpret that whole scene. And so there's two scenes actually, and I don't know that those people that he was filming throwing rocks at the bear were the same people that wrote those notes, but there were apparently people that were going up there looking for him. But you should and say that the people throwing rocks at the bear weren't like antagonizing the bear. No, they weren't like I mean, pelting the bear to be an asshole. The bear was encroaching on their territory, so one guy picked up one rock yeah. and threw it to try to kind of scare the bear off. Yeah, like they weren't probably, like, yeah, they weren't being assholes. It's a, and, and it's like assigning motive. He's assigning motivations to them that aren't necessarily correct. And yeah, I, exactly. And I always wondered when I was watching that scene with the with the notes being written on a piece of driftwood or whatever it was, and then the smiley face on a rock. I didn't. I couldn't tell if he was actually being harassed by someone or if somebody was just like you said like just leaving friendly notes for him or if he was just making that shit up are you think he was writing it himself who knows no nah, I, mean, I don't think was, so i don't think i don't so. know i mean so there's you get two views of this guy in this film you get Werner herzog's kind of point of view and it's all his point of view in that even though there's other people talking about timothy tridwell yeah 
It's what Werner Herzog chooses to show you. Right, of, of right, 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 right. So right. it really is his point of view. And then there's Timothy's point of view. And if you, there's a number of other people who have written about Timothy Treadwell over the years after this movie came out and probably even before the movie came out. A lot of people thought he was just a con artist anyway and not a. Well, a not conning a, who, though? Who would he be conning? Well, that's the question. But there was a lot of dishonesty that was happening around him that other people have documented. Like, for instance, he was always portraying himself. He always said he was up there by himself for three months. Right. That's not true. Like, half the time he was there. And he'd lied and said he was was from Australia and he was a... Yeah, he just had, like, kind of a a history of, like... He was a dude trying to invent himself, I think. Yeah, and dishonestly like there was yeah. a, there's a there's a history of like sort of we're all a bit dishonest yeah, <laughs> yeah but i there's a certain level of deception that he was doing that wasn't rational it was irrational deception there's there's deception that people engage in like friendly deception where somebody asks you if you feel bad or if you're feeling all right and you say oh yeah i'm feeling fine when you really don't like there's that deception and that's just a social deception so you don't have to talk about your problems with somebody that you don't want to talk about for instance but then there's like and that's a rational deception but then there's irrational deception like what what's he get out of like claiming that he was up there by himself when like does it matter that he had like, yeah because it's the because like, i think there's a, a level of deception it, to other people but there's also the deception that you tell yourself yeah and i think in a lot of yeah. a lot of what he did was he was creating on. a story in his own head yeah. of, of who he was, yeah. you know? And so I think Which a lot everybody of everybody does to some extent, but I think the difference between like a healthy person and a mentally ill person is that the mentally ill person invents a story that isn't based on any facts necessarily. Do, you know, that's really interesting. Do you think he was mentally ill? I think he probably, Oh, almost certainly. I think he wasn't. Oh, and, and I, I walked, I walked well, through this movie going, I guess it depends on your definition of mentally. Ill. It does. But I, I walked through this movie the whole time going, asking myself that question. Is this a dude who's just crazy? Or is this a dude who just found what he really I wanted to do? I have more nuanced definition of uh, mentally ill, I think, than you do. Mentally, to me, mentally ill is somebody who has... Hey, hey, don't... I got lots of nuance, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't say that somebody who's mentally ill is necessarily crazy. I mean, there is definitely crazy mentally sure, ill sure. where you're completely divorced. From I know reality. that's an oversimplification. And I think that like uh, men- mental illness often has to do with somebody's relationship with reality. And yep. And that, that's my question. And I, and is, I think is, that was he his... had a, he was actually engaged in some divorce. Uh, he wasn't completely rational i think he was and i i think he was um and i think you're I think he could have went in, went in and out of rationality and i think there was a lot of times he was com- being completely irrational i think he was just again um i think he was engaged with reality i think he, he really was i don't think he was mentally ill i think he's just a guy who became so desperate right and he realized his life was on such a bad track because he was, you know, they said he, 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 he was like the second in line to get the, the role for Woody on Cheers, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. And he failed to get that, and that broke him apart, and he started drinking. And his dad says he spiraled out of control. And then, then he found some meaning in his life, you know? I think that was his connection with the world, and I think that was his reality, maybe he didn't understand really well the nature of those animals, but I don't think he was mentally ill. I think he just, I think he was somebody who well, found something that he that goes, he, he goes, I need suffered. some meaning. I, I need some meaning. I think he suffered from, from some 
form of depression, which is a mental illness. Well, okay, well, okay, and, sure, sure. And he sure. sought to self-treat himself with any discovered uh, nature as a way of treating himself and, and giving himself purpose. But I think even in those, sure, I little, agree with you. Those little sort of diary tapes that he made, self-reflective recordings that he made in the field, he sort of reveals that he. There's a lot of still a lot of like mental turmoil in his yeah. life, you know, in terms of like even relating to women. You know? Yeah, he talk, He has a whole scene where he talks about like I wish I was gay or like you know because it'd Which be much so easier to get you watch have it sex. And the, your first impression of him is that he's gay. Did you get that impression? I, I never did. got that impression. Like he's so effeminate, you know, like the way he yeah, talks. Yeah, but that doesn't mean gay. Like, I know. I totally understand that. that like, <laughs> and I've known a number of very effeminate men in my life who are not gay, but like it was, but but that's usually like your first, you know, sure. I have a gay friend who calls that the gay accent, you know, it's like, he's, he's a little bit effeminate. And so you just kind of assume that somebody's effeminate. You might just assume that, I mean, that's probably wrong to assume. But, sure. But I get but, where you're but, going. You know, I get you where you're that going. Somebody's, and, and, and it was so like, they don't necessarily reveal that he had girlfriends like late until later in the film. And uh, yeah, I guess, you know, I guess cause I've seen it so many times yeah. now. Like I, I forget about your introduction to him in the beginning. Yeah. And maybe if I had started watching it from the beginning and not knowing this guy yeah. at all, I might have assumed the and same I, thing. Yeah, yeah, and I think that... Because he like is fairly was, effeminate, you're right. Yeah, and, uh, you know, the way he talks to the animals and things, you know. Right, right. But alas, he says, he says, alas, Timothy Treadwell is not gay. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I wish I was. But, yeah, I thought that was pretty... That was a... So much, there's so much just revealing in here, but at the same time, you wonder, like, there's got to be something else that's going on beyond, beyond the surface. I don't know if there was, man. I just think this is a guy who goes, shit's going to suck no matter what I do. And I think, okay, going back to the mental illness, you know, categorizing depression as a mental illness, okay, I'll agree with mm -hmm. you. He definitely had depression, right? But he just found a way to deal with that on his own terms. Yeah. And he found something, like we've said numerous times, he found something that brought meaning to his life. And what brought meaning to his life was being around these bears. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you and I can judge that all we want. We can just say, well, he's an idiot for not understanding them. He's, of course he deserved to get eaten by bears or whatever. But for that guy... That, but... <laughs> well, no, I, I'm not yeah. saying I would yeah. say that either. Yeah, but some I mean, people can say that. Yeah. But, I, but in the end, at the end of the story... The guy lived the life that he wanted to live, right? Yeah. He lived something that gave him meaning and purpose. And you can't fault the guy for that, no. you know? Yeah. I mean, people... Get, I, I, I've read online things that people will just lambast this guy and say he's an idiot and he's yeah. stupid. Well, like the helicopter pilot in the film. In the film, yeah. That, yeah. So he's just dummy, he doesn't understand yeah. the animals. But hey, man, let the guy live his life. If you, if you want to... Yeah. The there dude did it for kinda... 13 years before he got ate, eaten, yeah. you know? I mean, it's not like it was his first time up in the wilderness and he got, you know, a bear attacked him. He was up there 13 years. So, yeah, there was a guy, there was an interesting interview in there with the uh, Native American guy that ran the museum. There was, a, I think it was a bear museum in, mm -hmm. up in Kodiak, Alaska. And he sort of said that um, in his native culture, it was really almost sacrilege to try to live with bears like the way he was living with them. And, you know, they, they had this. You have a mutual respect. The yeah. spiritual separation, you yeah. know, that uh, we're men and those are bears and we should not live together, you know, kind of thing. So he kind of, I thought that was interesting. They, they, the Native American perspective, at least the way it was expressed by this guy, is that it was almost sacrilegious 
you know what what he was doing by living with bears like that you know so yeah because they had they had a real respect for the separation between humans, humans and animals. wild yeah. and they knew that those two things don't necessarily need to interact and so they were they were saying if we're in bear country we get out of it you know we yeah. we know we're in bear country we get out that's their area we respect that and we let that go but yeah and obviously there's a survival reason why that becomes like sort of a tenant in their religion <laughs> you know there's a practical survival reason for that i don't know i just thought it was interesting there was like a spiritual component spiritual opposition component to but uh, a timothy- the way he was approaching Treadwell had his own spirituality. I mean, that's what his whole life was. It's his own spirituality. He had his own beliefs and things. And one of the things I found interesting is they say, he says in a number of occasions in the film, like how he doesn't like the human world. Yeah. You know, there's like a story of him going back and he goes, I I wrote my notebook. I hate the human world. But the story of when he died is that he went to the airport to leave. Right, because he was it was past the season, right? So he was leaving, and he said in his notebook, "I got in an argument with an obese lady who worked at the company or worked at the you know the airline, and that pissed him off so much that he was like, well, 'Well, I'll just go back.' Because when he got eaten, it was beyond the regular season yeah, that he, he would have stayed there. Yeah, but it was, but he was going to leave, but because he got in an argument with a lady at the airport, he went. He decided oh, to go back. I totally misunderstood what that story was. I thought that was the story of how he ended up there to begin with, going there to begin with. I think it, I think it was when he was going to leave. He was going to leave in the normal time that he did. Yeah. So but he, he ended went up back to like Anchorage or somewhere. And, yeah, he was going to fly out. Somebody argued with him, so he's like, "Fuck it, I'll go back and hang out with the bears." Huh? Because he 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 would much rather be in the bear world than the human again, world. Though. I mean, that was he took his girlfriend back. Yeah. Yeah. And his girlfriend, I I before you know, I almost bef- know nothing about her. Well, before he recorded the podcast, I I read some Reddit reviews of this movie, and I saw somebody who said I actually knew this woman. Like I, oh. yeah, like I grew up with her, and she was apparently a very brilliant, accomplished lady who just sort of developed this enormous crush on Timothy Treadwell, hmm. and otherwise would not have been in that position but apparently a very smart i don't know anything about her i yeah. you know but apparently well, her she was family a, didn't want to be you know and i respect and that. fair I mean, enough yeah yeah but there were a lot of people who put blame so there were a number of things problems that people had some were more legitimate than others i i don't necessarily have a problem with somebody going out and finding themselves even if it's dangerous and like finding some purpose in life and like purpose and meaning even if it's going to kill them, I, I don't necessarily have a problem with that. But there there were some critiques of like what he was doing that I think are kind of legitimate. One of them was like putting someone else in that danger without, you know, I don't know how much she knew that she was going to be in danger or how much she was committed to that lifestyle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think that's legitimate. And I think the other thing that's kind of a legitimate critique of what he was doing is that one of the reasons, not just the fact that you could get eaten by bears, that you don't go close, to, live close to wildlife like that, is that you don't want wildlife to get used to sure. human presence yes yes which puts them in danger because if a bear because uh, if you walk into my backyard season, i'm going to shoot you yeah right? yeah so you know him living with foxes and bears and whatever other wildlife he was being friendly with up there you know kind of puts all that wildlife in danger in some way so i think that's a valid critique of what he was doing as well you know so like, like I said, I don't have a problem with somebody like sort of doing something inherently dangerous just to because it's good for them on some other level. 
you know, I don't necessarily have a problem with that. I just think that the critiques were fair, I think, in terms of like... Yeah, I agree. You know, you put the animals in danger by getting them used to human presence when they shouldn't be, you know. But, you know, I don't know. It's He's dead now, so... So let's... let's <laughs> we, we talked about three films. Let's rank them. Okay. Give me your ranking. Um, I would say Grizzly Man is my favorite of the three, and I feel like that was the one that made me think the most. But In the Abyss, I think, is very subtle... And there's a lot going on there below the surface that you don't necessarily pick up on if you just kind of watch it on a cursory level once. If you watch it a couple of times, I think you start to get more out of it. And I really like films like that. And then Gorbachev probably, I would say Gorbachev probably is the same way. I think you could, it's not my favorite of the three. It's my least favorite of the three. But I, and I think if you're into international relations and foreign policy in recent 20th century history, then I think that those are, this movie is totally up your alley. <laughs> Very specific categories yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's, but there's a, where, where, I always wondered what made Gorbachev tick, and I kind of got a little sense of that. I didn't know anything about him until yeah. this film. I just yeah. knew the name. But yeah. so where would you rank, um, by the way, I'm, my top three is the same as yours, so I'm yeah. not going to go into mine. But where would you rank Werner Herzog in terms of documentary filmmakers? I don't know. I feel like I, I, I think I need to see more of his work to really, because there's uh, dozens of films that he's made that I've, I haven't watched. Yeah. So I've never seen his. I've never even. I've, I've never seen liked, a single fiction film he's made. Yeah. I've never seen like Fitzcarraldo or any of those. Like yeah. I think some of his fiction films are really interesting to watch too. I don't know. Yeah, I would recommend it, but I would recommend going and searching out any Werner Herzog film and deciding for yourself. You know, if you're listening to this and you liked Grizzly Man or you liked any of these other films, I think you should go look at more Werner Herzog. But I think Werner Herzog, his real value in a lot of ways is like his, he's kind of a film philosopher and he has mm. a, these really strong opinions about what truth is and how to present truth and his approach to documentary film his approach to filmmaking in general is really interesting and i think that that's a lot of his value you know i think he has a lot he he even if you don't like his work necessarily i think you can he has a lot to say to make you think more deeply about films in general yeah. and cinema and none of these films that we talked about are bad i mean they're all worth no watching, i think they're know? all worth watching for sure yeah i mean grizzly man is kind of stands above them all because it's kind of a landmark i think in, yeah in documentary filmmaking. Um, and it's kind of not fair to compare that to something smaller that he was trying to do, like meeting Gorbachev, you know. Mm -hmm. But meeting Gorbachev in its own right, if you got a, you know, an evening and, you know, you got nothing to do, watch it. It's Other a, it's a decent uh, film. Werner Herzog films that I really enjoyed was the, uh, now I'm drawing a blank in the titles, the one about volcanoes. Um, Hold on, what did he, what did he do about into, volcanoes? Into the Inferno, and then the the Cave of Forgotten Dreams is really good. Cave too. of Forgotten Dreams, okay. I would recommend that if you can see it in 3D. That movie. Are you talking about Encounters at the End of the World? About volcanoes? Oh no, that one's about Antarctica. See, like he's got so much shit. Yeah. I've never, I haven't seen any of it. Like, yeah, he's got so many films. There's one he did about volcanoes that I just found fascinating. So, and that one's probably closer to a real nature documentary than anything he's he's done before, because it's about volcanoes. But like that movie, there's some footage in there of volcanoes, like close up, that is just so mesmerizing. Um, but Cave of Forgotten Dreams is 
is worthwhile as well. It, it, especially if you can see it in 3D. It's hard. It's going to be hard to see in 3D unless there's a special screening of it somewhere. And I don't think they even do 3D TVs anymore. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that fad. Um, but I think that came like, and doing, and, and and I get the. I mean, I I totally understand and agree with most of the critiques of 3D being a, a kind of a a fad that wasn't going to last, and I knew that that was going to happen. Um, but I f- I think it was great that somebody actually went out and made a documentary in 3D, <laughs> and that was a good uh, film to make in 3D because uh, those cave paintings were made to sort of use the relief as part of a the relief in the rock as part right. of the uh, thing. So in order to appreciate that, you really do have to see it in 3D. You know? so so, I haven't seen that. Yeah. Um, you know, my main my first exposure to Werner Herzog was Grizzly Man. And then I saw these other films after that. But I just have to, you know, go back on record saying I think Grizzly Man's a, a masterpiece. Mm-hmm. And if you want to watch the other two films, they're good too, you know. Yeah. So uh, I don't think he's as good as Earl Morris, <laughs> his buddy. You know, he was a he was a uh, Earl Morris is a little bit kind of a protege of uh, they're about ten years difference in age. Are they really? Yeah. I thought they came up together. I thought that was the whole point. No. I mean, I think they got kind of got notoriety. But there's two. The I, I feel like, and in, in this can probably go off on a tangent, but I feel like there's two different styles there. Where you have Earl Morris, who's like the perfectionist, and then you have Werner Herzog, who's just like, well, just shoot whatever the fuck you want and put it together and make a movie out of it. Mm-hmm. I feel like Earl Morris is more precise in the things, yeah, like the I things so that he too. does. And I think they're probably closer in their philosophical approach to cinema than probably say Errol Morris would be in the Maisel's brothers or um, Werner Herzog and the Maisel's brothers. I think Errol Morris and I think they both have the same. One of the big critiques of Errol Morris is that he does, he relies a lot on uh, recreations <laughs> and reenactments, right? Yes. That's one and, of my big critiques. And, of Errol uh, Morris. and a lot of people who, wouldn't consider what Errol Morris does to be pure documentary because he does put so much work into the production of his documentaries. And I think that's kind of where Errol Morris and Werner Herzog kind of converge because Werner Herzog also, not in any of these films, but in other films, he sort of converges the fiction and nonfiction. Um, He did especially in um, Little Dieter Gets His Wings, I think. Which is actually a, I don't even know how to categorize that. It's a, it's part documentary, but it's not a documentary. It's about a fictional character. It's so strange. It's a strange film. You have to watch it. But I, I feel like that's where they converge. Like they both like, so you can get at the, and I'm a fan of this idea too, is that like you can show somebody absolute facts, but you will not get the truth from those facts. But if you could, you can tell a fictional story about a greater truth and be much more truthful than something based completely in facts. Because you're telling a deeper truth that you can't okay. necessarily get across in facts. Like, there's truth in fiction. Well, yeah. Which is what... Hence the name of the podcast. <laughs> no. Stranger Than Fiction is, our, is the name of the podcast. Yeah. But, but No, I, I get that. Because yeah. there are certain truths that are, would be hard to get on camera that would be like in a... You know, if you're just interviewing and if somebody, anybody, you know, anybody that's made a documentary, anybody that's worked in television news, or anybody that's worked in any kind of presentational thing, you know that you can lie with facts. Yeah, <laughs> like sure. that's um, that's it's done all the time. It's called PR. <laughs> um, so uh, it's it's just a matter of like 
I mean, they call it spin or twisting or whatever, and you can, you know, and really just by virtue of the fact that you're showing some things and not showing other things is you can lie that way too, yeah. you know? Um, so it's all point of view. And, and I think getting precious about documentary and saying, well, it's always truth and it's always factual and it's always this. It's like, no, documentary is a filmmaking genre that has like a point of view just like any other storytelling has a point of view. Whether it's fictional or not, yeah, but uh, I mean, in, in, and I think we'll the save more this people for later. Realize that the more that they can be skeptical, I think I'm yeah. a big fan of skepticism. Yeah, me I too. Think people should be skeptical of any anybody who's trying to present to you like one specific truth. Yeah. You know, so. Well, anyway, Werner Herzog, Grizzly Man, it's awesome. Watch it. Go watch some other uh, Werner Herzog. I uh, think films and see what you like. I too. think. By the way, we, we usually do this after we get done recording, but I'm just going to say I think. Next week we should finally tackle some Earl Morris. Okay. Because we talked about it, and yeah, he's well, kind of the godfather of this whole thing that yeah, we're talking about. Well, so. Do you want to pick three films that Earl Morris? Do we have to do three though? I don't think it doesn't we have, have to, to be three. three. What do you want to watch? Let's, let's just do, say it now. You know what? Uh, he probably has enough. We could do like a top five or something. Top five Earl Morris or top two, top three. Let's do top three. All right. Top three Earl Morris films. All right. That's next week. See ya. All right.